Tom. Wisdom shared by the housewives and the occasional house husband of Scotland in the pages of the Sunday Post in the 1950s. Whatever will we make of it today? Hello and welcome to this very special and extra long episode of the Pass It On podcast. Today we are going to mark the 80th anniversary of the start of the Second World War. And to help us chat about this, we have the Editor-in-Chief of the People's Friend, Angela. Can you tell us a little bit about the People's Friend, please? Yes, I can, Connie, and thank you very much for asking me to take part today. The People's Friend is the longest-running women's weekly magazine in the world. That's official. Um, and it mm. launched... <laughs> there's, a, there's a Guinness World Record certificate hanging in our foyer. There is, is there? yes. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yes. And it launched in January 1869, right here in Dundee. Now, the People's Friend started out as a companion publication to the People's Journal, which was a really popular publication of the time. And the idea was that it would be a friend to the women, in particular, of Scotland. So it was really designed to help them make sense of the world as it changed all around them and give them recipes and hints and tips and other practical bits of advice as well as entertainment to really help them in their their daily lives. So the People's Friends started 1869, as I said, it um, was a monthly for its first year of publication and then it became weekly, which it's been ever since. Yeah. Can I ask, there was one thing yeah. that came out when you started your 150th birthday celebrations at the start of this year that I hadn't known before, and it's to do with the the genesis of the People's Friend in Dundee, and there was a particular reason why uh, we had a, a women-focused magazine in Dundee. Tell me about that. That's right. Um, in Dundee in 1869, um, society was a little bit different from other Scottish cities because in Dundee we had the jute trade, which was the, it was the centre of that whole jute trade in the UK. And unusually at the time, the jute trade allowed the employment of married women. So there were more married women in employment in Dundee than in any other city in the UK. And it wasn't for any philanthropic reason. It was because they paid them less. But nevertheless, it meant that the women of Dundee were, on the whole, more independent and more financially well off than women elsewhere. So they were looking for a publication that really was just for them. It was quite a campaigning and Bolsh is the wrong word, obviously, but quite a spirited population of, of women at the time. Definitely, yes. I mean, the women in Dundee were going out to work and a lot of their men were staying at home and doing the housework. So it was a complete role reversal at a time when that just didn't happen. And yeah, they were quite well known as being feisty women, the mm-hmm. women of Dundee. They still are. Mills. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Both my grandmothers worked in the jute trade and feisty is a, an excellent way to yeah. describe the pair of them. <laughs> It's worth maybe just reminding folk what jute is. It's a fabric, kind of material, linen, it basically. Is. Yep. Uh-huh. If you lift up an old a carpet. Sack. No, yeah, well, yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. If you lift up an old carpet, the backing is usually jute. It's very coarse. A very old carpet. Very old carpet. Uh-huh. But now it's used for shopping bags as well. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. true, yeah. However, well, we're going to talk about the war, though, aren't we? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. You'd forgotten, Connie. <laughs> like, before done. we start then, I have to say, I don't know if Angela would agree with me here, but... I have a strong emotional attachment to the Second World War, which is going to sound odd, but... Were you alive in the Second World War? Oh, Connie. (laughs) I don't think so. Second World War started 80 years ago. So, so yeah, yeah, I was at primary school, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But no, my father, all his brothers, all of my mother's brothers fought in the war, and my mother's brothers Mm. died in the war, and... um, 
I was raised on tales of heroism and... You can say heroin. <laughs> Pardon? <laughs> Connie, I'm trying to be so sorry, full and sorry, sorry, tell sorry, the people sorry, stuff sorry. here. It was only the last little bit. It's not train spotting. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. No. Sorry. I have this strong attachment. I grew up reading stories about it, watching films about it, hearing people talk about it. Uh, nobody boasted about it, but it was, uh, it was a huge, huge part of my life, and I feel that it has disappeared throughout the world, and it's kind of... Whereas I regarded it as a, stupidly, I regarded it as a glorious, we won, we beat everybody, we, how wonderful it was to go out and fight people. That obviously wasn't the case. and It took me a long time to come to that realisation that war wasn't good. As a small boy, reading the Victor and Hotspur comics, I regarded war as the biggest adventure ever and really, really wanted to join the army, win a VC. But it was kind of the last hurrah of the empire, wasn't it? The, the I suppose it was. Not, yeah, not, yeah. not not socio, not geopolitically, not in terms of borders, that kind of thing, but mm. in terms of that sense of patriotism and my country right or wrong. Later on, I'll read you a tip in which it it shows the ownership that uh, the UK thinks it, it holds over places like uh, Canada, for instance. It's it's a it's a little story from the Sunday Post of the past in which. Uh, one of the generals berates Canadians for their performance. But well, let's, let's we'll come to, to that tips. later. Let's let's have some tips because obviously we're going to talk about the home front. So we're going to start with uh, an old familiar favourite just because I want to. Where are these tips from, Steve? These tips are from the Sunday Post from during the war. Instead of, you know, the Pass It On book, which I know you've read from cover to cover, Connie, Obviously. was all from the 1950s, whereas for purposes of today's Special we've podcast. Got we've got extras from during the war, so I'm going to start with one which I know will find a ready, a ready audience in you, Connie. Stop it! A teaspoonful of sugar saturated with vinegar will stop hiccups, and that's from somebody who signs himself as a reader <laughs> from Brechin. Oh, from Brechin. <laughs> from Brechin, yeah. Ah, well, Just a funny from Brechin. Eight miles from us. Well, that's an absolute lie because we all know stopping hiccup is upside down. You got to drink upside down. What does that do? Care to demonstrate? Do you know what? <laughs> yeah, go on then. Okay. Do you know what a hiccup is? No. It's just your your diaphragm diaphragm being irritated. It's a mismatch. <laughs> Absolutely raging. Yeah, yeah. So all these daft things they won't work. It's just a muscle. Sugar and all vinegar. These, Ooh, it was because it had vinegar in it. We we love vinegar in the pass yeah, it on I, tips. Oh, we use vinegar awful. for everything. And in the people's friend as well. Yes, they vinegar, love vinegar is a remedy too. for just about anything Indeed. you care to mention. Yeah. It's usually for cleaning things though. Yes. No, not, yeah. for <laughs> not for Well, you eat it on your chips. Drink it, to be fair. You mentioned the home front, Steve, and it's worth remembering that especially in the Second World War, because of the nature of war had changed, mm. it was incredibly important that the people on the home front, that is to say people back in Britain, back in Blighty, they were encouraged and entreated to be very much part of, an active part of the war. Yes. Even though they weren't fighting, they were doing their bit for their men folk off fighting. And yeah. that was very much pulled through in the, in the friend as well, wasn't it, Angela? It was, yes. Doing your bit in terms of saving resources, so saving paper and food and um, clothing as well, but also making things to send to the war effort. So there was a lot of that going on too. And morale, you, you were treated to, to keep morale high for your husband's brothers, sons right. who it were away. it was your away. duty to it do so, duty. yes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really know what the people's friend was like, but the Sunday Post during the war, it is full of good news. There's no 
we've been slaughtered, we've had a disaster. Yeah. Uh, many people have been encircled and captured and the 51st Highland Division are, are really in trouble. Mm-hmm. They didn't used to say that sort of thing. It was almost all positive. Yeah. It's actually difficult to really follow the course of what's happening. However, I'm going to give you another tip, just because it's caught my eye. And it's another subject which I know you love, Connie. Fake tan. No, it's nothing to do with fake tan. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Listener, if, if you're still awake through Connie's fake tan nonsense, I can I'm only... I'm going to do an episode by myself. How about fake, fake tan? Connie really wants her own jingle, folks. <laughs> yeah, I do. And I've and been told I have to sing it if I want one. No, I could do it for you. Go on you then. ready? <laughs> <laughs> See, Steve's so feisty because he's got Angela with him today. Yes. yes. He uh-huh. feels like he's an got ally. an ally. <laughs> uh-huh. Actually, I should explain to the listener, our listener, Mrs. Miggins from wherever she's from, Angela's standing between me and Connie, so Connie can't get <laughs> to me. It's a buffer zone. <laughs> anyway, what, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, right enough. Well, listen. Melt down candle ends, remove the wicks and add turpentine equal to the melted grease. Mix and allow to harden. Warm slightly before using is a polish for your linoleum. That sounds perfectly reasonable. Mm-hmm. I like that. Of linoleum cleaning. Right, it's because you also, don't have any linoleum. remember the argument that we had about candle wicks? Yeah, no, maybe. Yeah. Depends if I was candle. right or not. You weren't. I'm always right. I no, actually, on that occasion you were wrong, Rafi. No, no, no you were right, you were right. Thank yes, you. no, the Connie first definition was, right. was given as being the wicks of a candle rather than a candle wick bedspread. Yep. Right, okay, moving swiftly on yeah, to me being boring. found to be wrong. Although it is another one about linoleum. Shock horror. <laughs> Shred some beeswax and place in a jar. <laughs> Cover with turpentine and stir occasionally until wax dissolves. Allow mixture to solidify before using. Rub on a very little bit at a time, then rub up with a duster. This, that was again for your it's linoleum. It's the same thing. It's that is the basically same thing. the same thing. Candle wax, beeswax, turpentine, turpentine, linoleum, linoleum. No, no vinegar, strangely. No vinegar, That's no. what they're missing. But you guys won't remember, but if a small boy like myself, when linoleum was on the go, <laughs> you could use the linoleum bit as a slide. And this sort of stuff, I think, would have made it slidier. I can picture myself as a young lad with my very well, we rough socks and sliding over the taking a run down the hall and then sliding over the kitchen floor did you remember is that why you've got a dodgy <laughs> hip <laughs> now <laughs> did your parents ever do this when, when my folks would uh, polish linoleum which wasn't a frequent occurrence I should point out I've never um, I, my brother and I did have get dusters strapped to our feet and we would help <laughs> oh. in inverted commas actually talking of jingles uh, see <laughs> Yes. We have, we, we, we introducing a new jingle for the people's friend. Um, oh, well, I'll press the button. Because there is one... Uh, Do you know which one? I'd like to read out, actually, from the people's friend, mm-hmm. from the 150th anniversary um, special edition that Angela's team has produced. And it was just it, to, to the point I made earlier. Here it is. Mm-hmm. It says here, it is the duty of all of us to keep as cheerful as we can. And I think that was, really speaks to that stoic attitude of the home front who had to maintain a, you call it facade, but had to maintain a sense of positivity about mm. the war. Mm-hmm. Mm. Definitely. I think there's a difference as well between the way friend readers responded to the two world wars, because we can go back and look at what the first world war was like and then the second world war. And definitely in the first world war, there was much more of an element of what you were describing, Steve, about the bravado of war being a great adventure. 
The Second World War, it's very much something that has to be endured, and the way we're going to endure it is by sticking together and being yeah. cheerful. Well, yeah. it's because as well it was within living memory, so the people, you know, in, in, in the First World War, was not to say that you hadn't had major conflicts immediately preceding it, but obviously the First World War was the first global conflict. And we went into it with the same kind of, you know, brass buttons and red jackets, hurrah, hurrah, hurrah attitude, <laughs> and obviously it decimated uh, the population. And for people who are... During the Second World War, again, there's a, there's a line in the, in the Friend from the time immediately preceding the uh, Second World War talking about dark clouds gathering again. It was that sense of, oh, mm. it's going to happen again. And I think people remembered how catastrophic the First World War had it been. It must have been dreadful for them because there, there was one little bit that, that made an impression on me. It was somebody who described themselves as a constant reader. She wrote in at the outbreak of war about her wartime knitting leaflet, which she had kept from the first conflict, uh -oh. and it was going to be used again. And she said, I hope we won't be working for the forces for over four years this time. Oh, it shows how people must have thought, here we go again. Well, it's yeah. the over by Christmas yeah. thing, isn't it? Yeah. People really thought it was That's going to be a, a quick conflict. It was nice that they had like the people's friend Angela. to keep them company, basically. Like, you know, yeah, that's, that's the whole point. Cool, but, I think it was, you know, yeah. actually, it really was. You know, yeah. you can tell that by what they've, what they've, the, the readers themselves have said. It definitely um, was a way of keeping themselves cheerful and keeping mm -hmm. themselves informed, and also giving them information that they needed about how to make yeah. things to eat, for example, with not very much food when yeah. when rationing came in. Mm -hmm. Angela, did the short stories in the in the friend reflect? people at home waiting for people to come home. And well, was it always a happy ending? Yes, they did reflect exactly what was going on. So for the whole period of the war, most of the themes of the short stories are about the war in some way. Mm. There's a lot of um, stories about women going out to work and doing different things, doing war work, but they didn't all have happy endings. No, well, they didn't. No, there oh, was dear. quite a lot of... There was a lot of bereavement, obviously, yeah. and sadness. Um but always at the end of it, there would be that hope that you know, uh -huh. things were going to get better again. I think one of the the positives, if it could be a positive, of having lived through the First World War was that they knew that they would come out the other side and life would go on. Mm -hmm. But for a lot of people, it would be different. Mm. Yeah, mm. Oh, so hard. But still that same yeah. sense of doubling down, gritting mm -hmm. your teeth, keep oh, carrying yeah. carry on. Yeah. You know, we're, go we're going to get through this, mm -hmm. but we're going to do that. We need practical steps in order mm -hmm. to enable us to do that. And yeah. things like the People's Friend... And the Sunday Post would give them that kind of hand-holding advice mm -hmm. to, to get them through the day. Yeah, yeah. Yep, definitely. Um, although, just to sort of change the mood altogether, as I'm standing here thinking of <laughs> the stories that my father brought back from, from the war. There's a, this, is, <laughs> this is apropos of nothing that's gone before. My Uncle Alec, not ever the cleverest of chaps, he was uh, drafted into the army. And legend within the family has it that when they were first taught on the firing range to shoot, he was frightened of the bang. So he turned his face away from the gun. But in, turn, in doing that, he turned his whole body oh. and, <laughs> and pointed the gun across the bows of the rest of the shooting. <laughs> and when he, when he fired, he shot a cow in the next field. <laughs> now, I've, I'm virtually certain that is an apocryphal story that has had arms, legs and dead cows added to it. <laughs> yeah. But um, that was, every time my brothers got together and sat down, they would say, oh, remember when X shot a coup? <laughs> and none of them were there, obviously. My, my father was in the RAF and one of my uncles was a submariner, but they still tell this story. 
And it's that sort of stuff that I sort of regarded as boys' own adventure type of uh, But there is definitely something in that stuff. attitude that, that that perpetuates an attitude that's worth unpicking a little bit because in a very simple black and white way, there was an enemy that had to be defeated. Mm-hmm. It was yes. super, super clear. And when you lose that certainty, you lose some of the sort of clarity of direction and mission that you have in life. And certainly, you know, little boys like you, whose dads had been in the war, you it was it was so, so obvious to you that you would want to emulate that kind yeah. of behavior because yep. it was incredibly, it was a very clear path laid out in front of you. But mm-hmm. obviously people today have to, generations younger than me, have to figure out uh, a mission for themselves. And that's, I think, where you see people like Greta Thunberg, the Extinction Rebellion movement, all that activism coming from that place of trying to figure out a way for themselves. Wow, Chris, that's pretty deep. <laughs> Connie's not going to understand, understand that at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't even... No, that was, no. no it, it does. Well, no, I was this, listening, but I was, was also a, like, and that word means, and mm-hmm. that word means. But there was, what Chris, I think it's trying to say is mm-hmm. there was a sense of purpose and mm-hmm. uh, a, we were all shoving in the sh- same direction. We had a common enemy and we were all together in this. And it, it felt, to be honest, a lot of the times it felt good. Hearing stories from my father and his mm-hmm. brothers about things, what they did in the war, it, uh, it reinforced, I don't know, the sort of character of, of then, the character of the country. And... I'm sorry, it's probably really unpolitically correct these days, but I'm sure. proud of all this. I am I like the notion, yeah. I like hearing the stories am too. of the war. No, I just like the winning side, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> you don't care which side wins as long as you're on the winning no, side. basically. Well, that's what happened in Vichy France, man. <laughs> but it wasn't just about little boys thinking it was an adventure, you know, and, oh. and having that sense of purpose. Because one of the things that the war did for women was give them freedom that they didn't have before so for a lot of people's friend readers there was actually some sadness at the end of the war not that the war was over but that they were having to go back to lives of domesticity and they hadn't had to do that for the length of the war they'd been allowed to work they'd been allowed to earn their own money they'd been allowed to make their own decisions and they hadn't had to spend their days looking after home Mm -hmm. and family and when the men came back, they were all expected to give up their jobs. They were yeah. chucked out of them. So there was a real sadness at the end of the war for some women that they had lost that brief taste of freedom. And the, the, the work they were doing mm-hmm. very often was in munitions. Yeah. It was in, in heavy manufacturing. Yeah. Dangerous, skilled work as well. Yeah. Do you think without the war, there would have been the opportunity, as we'd say, the break? I don't mean the break <laughs> as in sit and put your feet up, but the break for women that have has probably opened a gate for us to go and do jobs and things now. I don't know if there, whether we would still, had there not been the war, uh, whether we would still be at home looking after the house I and think the it family. accelerated everything, definitely, yeah. because before the First World War, the suffragette movement had mm-hmm. been quite vocal but getting nowhere. Yeah. And it was only when first the First World War broke out, women really kept the country running. Mm-hmm. And after that, it was just a genie that couldn't be put back in the bottle. They, yeah. they really did feel that that they had earned the vote. And, and they demonstrated that they could do yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So again, maybe with the Second World War, it accelerated things yeah. again. And I'm sure that what happened in the Second World War with women working and taking such a lead in keeping the home front going mm-hmm. did lead to pretty much directly to what happened in the 60s with the sexual revolution, definitely. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, it was definitely a good thing then. <laughs> We're just going to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment. <laughs> Remember, you can get 20% off both Pass It On books if you use the discount code VINEGAR at checkout at dcthompsonshop.co.uk. Check the episode notes for details and terms, and here's your bonus ad break tip. 
Place a cake of scented soap inside an old stocking and hang in your wardrobe. Your clothes will always smell fresh. One of the things that I find really interesting in The People's Friend during the Second World War is the cookery pages. Because we had a cookery editor called Kitty and her main job was to make sure that people knew how to feed their families on really meagre rations. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that involved quite odd combinations of things and uh, lots and lots of vegetables. So um, she would encourage people to eat more vegetables by making, for example, leek pudding baked cabbage and tomatoes, which does not sound that oh. great. Mm. And one thing that I found quite interesting was most of these dishes disappeared as soon as, as meat came off the ration and people thought, why would I eat a leek a, pudding, a leek pudding mm. when I could have a steak and kidney one? But one thing that we've kept um, ever since the Second World War is carrot cake. Because although it wasn't invented in the Second World War, that's when it became popular because carrots were nice and sweet and easy to, mm -hmm. to get hold of. But, oh, um, I didn't know that. Oh, so oh. it's it's the only ha it must have been the only palatable thing that yeah. they made. Thank goodness yeah. for as the second one of war because I love carrot cake. I'm sure it bore no relation to the one that you eat now, though, Connie. Probably <laughs> not. Uh. I feel like I've done this in the podcast before, but indulge me since it's relevant in this particular episode as well. I'll tell you the story of carrots. So you might know that in the Second World War, in particular, there was the that's where the thing of carrots being good for your eyesight started. Oh, yeah. But actually, it was nothing to do with carrots. It was radar. Um, and actually what was happening was that the authorities were putting around this uh, completely false story that carrots were improving the eyesight of spotters and the general populace. And that's why they could see incoming planes, uh -huh. because they had radar. They didn't want to uh, um, allow the Germans to see that yeah. we had a technology that didn't allowed want to them. Say that so instead technology. they let the Germans believe that we ate lots of carrots. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Which do contain vitamin E that's very good for your eyesight. So there was yeah. a grain of truth yeah, in there. Uh -huh. makes sense, yeah, yeah. The other thing about food, of course, mm -hmm. is that during the Second World War, there's been research done that says that we actually had one of the is the best diet mm. we had as a, as a nation in modern yeah. history because yeah. we were forced to eat a lot of vegetables, yeah. as you see, and not very, and much, not very much sugar either. Mm. Yeah. So it was actually a very healthy diet. Um, it was only diet. one mm -hmm. type of bread. It was British national bread, I think they called it. Yeah, and it was very unpopular. It was. It was regarded as Hitler's <laughs> secret weapon. But it was very healthy. Mm. It didn't it Whole meal, effectively. It would have been, yeah. Whole meal and sweeping from the barn floor, yeah. <laughs> but it was uh, very, very healthy. And I'll tell you what else. It took the cheese industry until the 1990s to recover from the war. Oh, there was all I these types of cheese, cheese before the war, and they didn't all start being made again until well into the 1990s, which uh, I think is a surprising thing. Are you surprised by this? I'm surprised by this. 1990s, yes, that's a really, really long time from... I wonder why it would take so long to start up again, because yeah, there I would be know. a daily supply of yeah. milk. You think they've lost the skills? Yeah. Consumer tastes, maybe, as well. Possibly. Changing. Yeah. The adverts are also really interesting at this time because there are lots yeah. of adverts that are really quite strongly propagandist in tone. Mm -hmm. You know, so um, there's one here in in our um, 150th special, which is all about Heinz bringing the soldiers marching home, and it's the Heinz 57 varieties. And the other, could, could you read out yeah. the line from that? I remember seeing that in our archives. Do you have it there, Angela? Um, because the line on yeah. the front cover of that, I, I remember reading and thinking, that's quite near the knuckle. I, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, September 15, 1945, um, the front cover has a, a little drawing of um, soldiers marching. And it says, when the boys come marching home, Heinz 57 will return to the home front, always ready to serve. 
And I, I, the old ready to serve is a really clever line. It's a great mm. advertising line. Yeah, you know, it's mm-hmm. relative to the beans. Yes, and the serving mm-hmm. and serving. Yeah. But at the same time, there's something very icky to me about that thing of, you know, turning a, a, a victory or at least an end of a major catastrophic mm-hmm. world conflict mm-hmm. and making it about get your beans again. Like selling beans, yeah. yeah. Why is Heinz called Heinz 57? Oh. Advertising ploy. Apparently it was because they did have 57 products. Can read a little bit out of this special, which is um, some facts we found about Heinz. During the Second World War, the 57 varieties were cut to the minimum, but one by one they made their return. Heinz were actually producing 60 products by the time the war broke out, but they liked the number, so they kept it at 57. And now they produce over 5,700 products. The number is that many type of beans? I think it's more no, than just beans. Yeah. <laughs> soup, yeah, no soup and all that stuff. There is a myth which I've never <laughs> tested that wherever the 57 is written on a can or bottle produced by Heinz, if you've got some stuff like sauce, ketchup, stuck in the bottle and you tap on the place where it says <laughs> 57, it all comes out. What, like a secret key? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway. I'm, I'm dubious of that, Steve. Yeah. Even more dubious than I normally am with your tips. <laughs> Right, I'm going to read you a little story that was in the Sunday Post, which um, I'm sorry to say I find really amusing. The headline on it is Making Sissies of Their Sons. Oh, dear God. <laughs> there we go. Major General Brock Chisholm, his name is even tough. Is that one word? No, two words. <laughs> Director General of Army Medical Services has made a speech in Toronto which is calculated to stir up Canadian women. General Chisholm said... They need to grow up, Canadian soldiers, in relation to other men, as effective men have been doing so for a long time. Too many women have been bringing up too many boys on women's values without relation to their obligation to the community. General Chisholm complained that families of soldiers on leave frequently undo weeks of training. It's fascinating, okay. isn't it? So that was it Canadian is. soldiers he was talking about. He was Nearly British, Canadian. but he went to Canada and said... You soldiers are <laughs> sissies. <laughs> I'm sure that went down well. Well, exactly. I've, got, I've got a comment on Canadian soldiers oh, from the people's then. friend, if you want to, to have that. Let's get a jingle. Let's have a jingle. Okay, and the people's friend, what we said about Canadians were that they were self-reliant and large and genial. Large? Large and genial. Nothing that Steve can confirm. <laughs> with a partiality for waffles... And the habit of eating everything possible with a fork alone. That's why they were large. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I said, that's largely consistent with the idea I have of Canadians now. But there was a thing, wasn't there? When the GIs. When the GIs <laughs> came over to the UK, when, the America, when America entered the Second World War, was that the, a lot of the British women. Um, who were suddenly faced with this influx of very tall, clean-limbed, good, homegrown boys who, you know, had been raised in the plains of Iowa or whatever, and they were they were they had enjoyed a much higher standard of life than Britain had at the time in terms of you know nutrition and stuff. They were suddenly these Adonises arrived, and the women were quite a flutter. Mm, so they can't all have been that large. Why? No, they were. They, they, so they, they were well built. They were large than fat. No, 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 no. Just no. large oh. as in large. big overall. Well, just because large, it went from large to waffles to eating everything <laughs> in sight with a fork. I was thinking they didn't just the person that wrote that didn't want to say they were fat. No, no, no. Just sort of clean limbed and large, hunky, hunky. Yes. Uh huh. 
I think in the people's just like the past, we didn't worry that much about seeing things. If, if yeah, we thought yeah. somebody was fat, we said it. We were not as mindful of people's <laughs> sensibilities. Fewer <laughs> people were fat, though. It's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Especially very, on those vegetable yeah. pies. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, like pudding. Mm. I read the recipe in, in the people's friend for the... They compare it to the Savoy... Oh, the Woolton pie. The Woolton pie. Yes. 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 Which... Uh, it kind of dresses up something that doesn't sound very palatable no. at all, and says it's just like you get in the Savoy. You know, it's a it's a wonderful pie. In the hotel, do you know what cabbage. was in the Wilton pie? Vaguely, yeah. Remind me. Um, it was potatoes or parsnips, cauliflower, swede, carrots, and possibly turnip. Other vegetables were added where available. Rolled oats and chopped spring onions were added to thickened vegetable water, which was poured <laughs> over the vegetables themselves. Mm, it was then it was then all topped with potato pastry and grated cheese and served with vegetable gravy. That was your Woolton pie. Mm. And people at the time were really not keen on Woolton pie. So apparently Lord Woolton was taken out and about to restaurants and other dining establishments <laughs> and photographed eating the Woolton <laughs> pie. <laughs> so traditionally, would a Wilton pie have meat in it? No, no. It this was is a, con- a recipe constructed oh, for oh the right. Yeah. Sorry, I'm with yeah. you. Yeah, I did like those. Well, uh, on one of the covers of the frame from 1942, there's a big ad in the front for marine soups, meat and vegetable, basically stock cubes. Stock cubes. And it said, just break the boil and serve. Saves time, saves fuel. And that partic- that last bit really interested me because it was a very 360 degree approach mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. thrift mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. making make doing men. It wasn't just about, you know, being ac- having access to fresh vegetables if you're in the country, as a lot of people did when they were, when they were evacuated. They suddenly faced with vegetables for the first time. Um, it wasn't just about th- what you cook, but about the, the way in which effect. you cooked mm-hmm. it. And yeah. you know, that, that's, that resonates today as mm-hmm. people try to consider... Not just the, uh, you know, it's that thing of, is a strawberry that's grown natively in Morocco and then air freighted over actually a more green thing than a strawberry that's grown in hot houses mm-hmm. 20 miles yeah. from where mm-hmm. you are? Yeah. And it's, it, it's a really hard thing for consumers to be able to balance all those things. I think it's fascinating how things come full circle because back in the war they had to be thrifty and economical yeah. out of necessity. Now, Increasingly, we're being thrifty and e- economical because of the needs of the planet. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. it's so, becoming fashionable, yeah, isn't it, to be yeah. uh, thrifty? I think the Sunday Post pass on tips will, will make a comeback because it's <laughs> it'll be the, everybody's Bible. Indeed, <laughs> it is the Bible. I often refer to it as the Bible. <laughs> Speaking of wonderfully appetising food, potato chocolate spread. The very name potato what? chocolate spread sounds odd. Mix. Two tablespoons of mashed potatoes, one tablespoon cocoa, one tablespoon sugar, almond or vanilla essence, mashed potatoes thoroughly and mix in cocoa sugar and flavouring, spread on bread. That's from Mrs. J.M. Aberdeen. I'd like to try that. I'm Why curious. You? Why? Because uh, it mashed might potato. actually work. Imagine well, did you know that, um, mashed potato with It's not that different from a macaroon. No. No, the traditional recipe for a macaroon is mashed potato yeah. mixed with icing sugar. Is it? Yes. I did not know that. Yes. I used to like macaroons too. <laughs> the, they maybe um, don't make oh. them that way now. Uh, in fact, Ferrero Roshi, you know, these very high class, at least we associate them as being so very posh, oh, ambassador with these, you're really spoiling us, kind of mm. treats, kind of chocolate, if you're not familiar with Ferrero <laughs> Roshi. We're actually started, I want to say during the Second World War, but I might get the actual conflict wrong, but it's certainly during a time of shortage, and it was started by somebody philanthropically 
to let little boys and girls have their hit of chocolate by mixing it with nuts, which were then much, much cheaper. Mm. Rather than, it was sort of a way of eking out um, yeah, yeah, chocolate. Yeah, it last longer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I'm not a fan of Ferrero Rocher. No. I like the white ones. But I do yeah. like the fact that yeah. you know they've successfully managed to pivot that thrifty, economic, mm. by necessity, yeah. and it's still move like, into something that mm-hmm. is at least perceived and, and marketed to us as being very posh and high-end. Mm-hmm. Right, I tell you what then, because we've been speaking about stuff that we think might not be very good, Here's a tip for something which, frankly, I'm going to try. Beet and bacon. Cut slices of cooked beetroot, dip in batter, and fry in the same fat as bacon. <laughs> Miss JW from Cooper Angus. Now, I like the sound that of that. That does sound delicious. Doesn't it? <laughs> Angela looks sceptical. How much fat came off the bacon? <laughs> well, <laughs> plenty. I don't know, and bizarrely, well, they, they, they kept it. Well, they had some, not some from time. You had your... Your yeah, ration, in which you were true. able to get some... Beetroot's disgusting. And actually, oh, do you not like beetroot? About, the only thing I don't like, I hate it. Really? We found a food that Connie doesn't pink. like. Okay, moving swiftly <laughs> on. <laughs> I used to like, my, my granddad used to make a beautiful uh, pickled beetroot and a, 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 from the war. Mm. and a, But I really remember it and it was, it was really delicious. So, and we've all spoken about before about my battered pickled onions and battered pickled eggs. And you've all gone, ooh. But yeah, but what's the pickled eggs is odd. Well, I don't like pickled eggs, so I wouldn't have them. But the onions, oof, next level. So what is the difference? None. There's Absolutely no zero difference. difference. No. In fact, this is fried in bacon fat. Actually, that <laughs> sounds wonderful. No, that's the bit I'm having a problem with. <laughs> Not the beetroot, the bacon fat. Oh, I'm actually quite liking that. Right, here's a rather long thing from the Sunday Post, long. which will move us on to... Are you reading all of that out? It's absolutely mm. massive. No, just some of it, right? Okay. <laughs> The headline is, but don't let them marry. And this is from just after the war in July 1945. And it's uh, by a man, an ABLA man, who was stationed in Germany at the time. ABLA. I can't remember what it stands for. It's, uh, he's in something to do with the army. Right. Non-fraternisation in Germany has broken down. So they were allowing the British Tommies to mix with the German girls. Mm. And this is obviously a bad thing, according to this chap. Lots of them will be out to get British husbands, and they'll succeed unless the bar is put up and kept up. It happened last time. Thousands of German girls captured British husbands. Captured is the right word. They had the field almost to themselves and made the most of it. (laughs) The moment we allowed German girls to marry our men, the old Teuton cockiness started to return. Did he really put he, he, he in his passage? Or is that editorialising by Steve? Added, added extras. Did I say he, he, he? Well, that's good. That only added to the flavour of it. It's up to the authorities to make life as intolerable as possible for our men in Germany. That's not very nice. Intolerable? No, tolerable as possible. Oh. Well, so why not let them well, do their whatever they're doing? I've no idea what they were doing, Connie. Possibly well. eating bacon-flavoured beetroot together and all sorts of... Sauerkrauts. But it was, it was worth saying that, of course, a lot of the men who served overseas did bring back cuisine. They did. Habits, oh. attitudes. Oh, from the say German wives. German. <laughs> did well, that, German did happen, wives, that happened yeah. as well. But there was, although you wouldn't wish it as an actual way of, inter- of bringing globalisation and internationalisation to a country, it did change the social uh, attitudes of people in the UK. To be honest, before I went into sort of secondary school, which is really when you study the war, you know, proper, not properly, but, you know, enough to, to know the basics. Formally. Most of my 
knowledge of the Second World War came from the Germans' episode of Faulty Towers. <laughs> <laughs> that historical document. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was where my, my basic and most early understanding came from. Right, okay, I'm going to bring this right back then to the homeland and the home front. And this is a story called They Swicked at the Harvest. Farmers throughout the country are finding that potatoes have been badly harvested by children during last autumn. Now, large quantities of potatoes are growing in turnip fields. A potato merchant told the Sunday Post, lots of potatoes must have been willfully buried by lifters who could not be annoyed at gathering them clean. But the last bit is absolutely superb and is why I have cut this out. Said a northern farmer, it's a recht and recht enough employing bairns, but loons will be loons and they'll swick in the gathering if you didn't watch them. It's up to every farmer to look over his potato harvesters and see the crops are lifted clean. I know him. He's from Farfar. <laughs> <laughs> but that, it says, they sent children out to lift the potatoes and yeah, lads being is. lads. And what he's, exactly, he's saying there, and that's perfectly fine and right, you should definitely send small children out to do heavy agricultural work. <laughs> yeah. I did. The ties and the berries. I went to ties, yeah. It was good. And actually, and I totally enjoyed it. We did. I remember buying myself some 1960s-style trousers to replace my short pants. <laughs> short pants. It's never, a, never an image I want in my mind. Uh, every time the short <laughs> pants are mentioned, I cringe. So, However, Angela, yes. did the People's Friend re- remain in uh, publication exactly as the same as it always was throughout the Second World War? It did still publish weekly, but... As the war went on and paper got in shorter supply, it did shrink in size. So I think they, they took it down from 20 pages to 16 and and I think um, they made the type smaller as well. And if you've seen the original copies from tiny. that period, yeah, it was tiny anyway. And they made it even smaller. But there was a huge um, push to recycle all the paper that they possibly could. So one of the things that the editor of the time did was ask readers to save paper by sharing their copy of The People's Friend. So instead of everybody buying one each, Pass it around. After the war finished and paper came off the ration, we said to them, now you can all go back to buying your own. (laughs) But it's a problem we've been trying to crack ever since because every time I meet a People's Friend reader, she will tell me how happy she is that she shares her copy with at least half a dozen other people. It can be a good thing as well because they talk about things that are in the People's Friend. They talk and it becomes... It becomes really their friend. That's right. Yeah. It does. And it's it's lovely. They want to share something that they enjoy with mm-hmm. people that they care about. That is lovely. You just and wish you had a few more pennies I just in the look coffers. at all those numbers, <laughs> yes, and think what the circulation could be like. But that's where it all started, was in the war. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot um, about recycling of paper yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, so uh, we had lots of quite strong propaganda um, Telling children to stun the Hun with a paper scrap. Oh, wow. wow. Which was quite what's, strong what's language. Stun the Hun? Well, the Hun with the Germans. Mm. But, but it did, it, quite, but it did quite work. strong language. You know, it yeah. did work because, well, apparently they increased the salvage of scrap paper from 52,000 tonnes a year before the war to 248,000 wow. tonnes oh in 1940. That's like five times now. So people it, felt it they, were, really they were helping. Yeah. The, and and they helped them win the war by doing that sort of maybe, stuff. Maybe something we could all learn there from recycling mm. waste yeah. today. Yeah. But in 1942, if you didn't sort your recycling waste, it became a criminal offence and yeah. you could get up to two years in prison and a fine mm. of £2,500 wow, if you didn't for the time. I read wow. that somewhere. Did we email yeah. that? 
I wonder where that where that came off the statute books yeah. then. I wonder when that law changed. Well, it's, it's quite incredible as well when you think the average wage was three hundred and twenty pounds a year. Yeah. Wow. So find so, so basically you just wages. don't do it. There's no way you even flirt That's with it. it. So there's maybe a lesson there Actually, for, for being, modern times. Yeah. yeah. Jail sentences for not sorting out your <laughs> for your not litter, sorting your recycling. Probably. See, we yeah. should yeah. do that now. That's why the planet's a mess. Well, because I, there's I no jail sentences for. Well, there's not long enough ones, but never. That's a completely different podcast. But I think that, I think <laughs> it's a fair a fair point one that Angela makes that, that if yeah. you want to get serious about um, incentivizing the correct behaviors or disincentivizing the wrong behaviors, I should say. Mm-hmm. You you can the government can do that can flex its muscles exactly. to, to to do that and you nobody's going to moan about petition like no one's going to petition oh you can't s- sanction people for not sort sorting out the recycling like that's a big thing now like that's huge it's kind of funny as well that we often think those sort of lefty bleeding heart liberals amongst the population often think you know conflict can be an, an excuse for government to grab power and exert mm-hmm. you know draconian policies yeah. uh-huh. to, to to crush the little man and well that's absolutely true you know they can use those powers for what we would call good as yeah. well steve do you do all your recycling properly do you wash out the tins and stuff well i have a p- slight problem with that uh, how much hot water do you use always take hot you can just use cold water yeah or how much cold water do you use not a lot <laughs> to Pen do beans. i mean they don't need to be sparkly clean but i give them a rinse so they're Relatively clean. I think we've discussed before that you throw them on the fire. That's what. <laughs> that's how Steve did oh. it. The, on the coal fire. And that's why works. all the emissions are coming out of your chimney. It's <laughs> My what? Your fault. <laughs> no, I, I am fully behind the notion of uh, recycle, reuse. You recycle your Sunday post. Yep. I recycle papers. I, I do. Um, yeah. But I, uh, I have a real problem with tidy desk policies. That's uh, a completely different thing. Moving on. <laughs> she does. You know it's that's not you told. I know she does that to me. Tidy desk policies. We all know you don't have a tidy desk. <laughs> well, it's a very high-minded uh, special <laughs> episode of Pass It On. We've managed to record today. There's one um, comment from a reader that I think is quite a nice way to to finish our discussion. If that's okay, if if I read this, um, and it's just going back to what we were talking about with the morale and the feeling of all being in it together. So this lady wrote in to say. The war, surprisingly, has brought love and unanimity among our neighbours that we never before experienced. Always there seemed to be some small grievance that had either to be aired or sulked over. Now all is changed. We live in perfect harmony, each doing the best for the other at all times and under all circumstances and all working for the good of the cause. I love that. That is really good. Uh Out of adversity becomes something really good. Yeah, we need another major war no no in all seriousness that that you know it probably does take something like that to bring harmony to a country whereas now there's just no chance perhaps doesn't need to though is 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 a a problem and and i think we we too often especially now in the in the in the current debate around brexit we we see people appealing exactly to that sort of blitz spirit Mm -hmm. of bringing people together and you know it was all fine during the war. Everybody was all friends. And there's a, a really dangerous demagoguery. It's a very dangerous position to take because it can excuse some awful, awful decision-making. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the further and further away we get from the war, and as I say, we're recording this is to mark the 80th anniversary of the start of World War II, the further and further away we get, the more we lose contact with the people who would tell us, do not do this again. Yeah, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. My, my father... 
came back to him war, and one of the things he said was, I tell you what, the working man will never stand for that again. Britain will never, ever go to war again. But we did. Mm. We, we, we almost enthusiastically go into things like the Falklands War and the Iraq War, and that jingoism springs up again. Whereas my father's generation must have looked at that and thought, oh no, it's all happening again. Oh guys, that was a really good episode. I feel like I've learned a lot, especially about the spirit of the people in the war. It was it was a lovely time. Obviously, we can't be too rose tinted about it because that's what leads to the same sort of thing happening again. Indeed. But it, mm-hmm. but it was uh-huh. lovely to see. Let's not forget, my uncle Jack didn't come back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it it was a time that where people lost in Lots. huge swathes of the family. But it was a time that gave us, as you say, that liberation of women, and it, it absolutely was that inflection point in the history of 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 the suffragette suffragist movement. Mm-hmm. It would be nice to think that we could recapture the spirit yeah. without the war. Yes. Without the killing, you know, if if there mm-hmm. could be another way of bringing people together and and having them mm-hmm. think about the positives yeah. instead uh, of the negatives, proper political, inspirational mm. leadership would yeah. help. Yeah. Unlike what we have, Steve for prime minister. Woo! <laughs> oh dear lord, that's a, that's a vision. Um, Angela, we we all three of us really enjoyed yeah. looking through yeah. the 150th mm. anniversary book that the People's Friend mm. team um, has put together. It's a beautiful thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It um, was a real labour of love for us. It took a year to put together but it does chart the whole history of the people's friend and if you want to buy it you can you can get 15% off at the moment with the discount code homefront and it's available from the dc thompson shop online yeah so we'll put details of that as well as a discount on the pass on books in the episode notes uh, for this for this particular show as well great so I think we'll draw it to a close there today, guys. Thank you very much, Angela, for joining us. Um, I've really enjoyed today's episode. Um, join us next week for more nonsense from us. Um, we'll be back to our normal scheduling. Um, Angela won't be here, so Steve will have to fend for himself. If you know anyone who enjoy this podcast as much as you do, we'd love it if you'd pass it on. Let them know they can subscribe for free in iTunes, Spotify, or wherever they get their podcasts, or you could leave us a wee review or rating on iTunes to help people discover Pass It On for themselves. And don't forget, as Steve said, as a listener to this podcast, you can get an exclusive 20% off the Pass It On books at dcthompsonshop.co.uk by using the discount code VINEGAR at checkout until 20th November 2019. Check the episode notes for details and terms.